I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last week, we saw from the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 the importance of preaching the entire or the whole counsel of God. A pastor or a shepherd is not allowed to just proclaim the parts that he likes or the parts that he thinks that others will like and to ignore the rest. We are called to preach the entire counsel of God because 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 makes it very clear that the scriptures are good for all that pertains to life and godliness. That means that when a person comes and they come to receive counseling or to ask for counseling from the pastor, for example, you will find that we go directly to the word of God. We don't go to the latest and greatest manual on psychiatry or Psychology, we go to the Word of God. You see, the problem is that many in the world today think that they can live based off of what their heart tells them to do. Follow your heart. We're not called to follow our heart, though, because the heart, Jeremiah reminds us, is deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. We can't follow the heart. We have to follow our minds and to do that, we have to understand Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. This is what is required of us. You see, everything that you and I are going to struggle with in our lives from day to day, not just on Sunday mornings between 11 and 12.15, but every day of our lives, we are going to struggle if we do not seek to renew our minds. That means we have to be willing to train our minds in whatever God wants us to do. Now, it's interesting that Maybe down through the years, if any of you have ever played sports or been involved in any kind of martial arts or whatever it may be that you have chosen to get involved with, uh, there's a saying that normally says, if you think you can, 
You can't, okay, so there are a couple of you that have heard that, okay? Uh, the rest of you must have just completely missed out. H- however, I have to say that that's not true. You see, I thought for a long time that I could fly like Superman. <laughs> I just can't. I have tried. I mean, e- even when I was little, m- mom and dad, I wanted to want them to hear this, but I can remember standing on top of our shed with the sheet jumping off thinking that I could somehow fly. Didn't work. Thankfully, I wasn't hurt very badly. But just because you think you can doesn't mean that you actually can. That's not what Paul is talking about here. For us to renew our minds means that we have to meditate on the Word of God to understand, to determine what it is that he wants us to do, first of all, and then to set our mind in the direction of the cross so that we know that when we get there, we have been following Jesus Christ. Too often, though, we park our brains in neutral. Sometimes we don't spend enough time meditating on the Word of God, and so instead of thinking on the things of God, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, instead of thinking on the things of God, what do we end up doing? We think on the things of the world. And let's be very honest. The things of the world are very alluring. They want to reach out and with their tentacles, they want to grab your attention. Whether it's young men, young ladies, older men, older ladies, it doesn't matter what it is. 1 John tells us the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh or the pride of life, the evil one wants to get your heart. Because if he can get you to focus on your heart, the mind goes right out the window. But listen to Philippians with me, chapter 4. And we are going to read verse 8, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, in fact, we're going to go back one more verse because I want to get to the end of verse 7 here. But the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all, what is that word? Understanding. Understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So with that in mind, now let's consider verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, not emotions, but whatever is worthy of praise, What does it say? Think or consider these things. You say, well, how does that apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, because today we're going to continue this short series that I believe the Lord wanted me to bring over the next week or so. This last week we looked at the value of biblical doctrine and today we're looking at the value of biblical homes. Lord willing, next week we will look at the value of biblical churches. Last week, I want to bring you up to speed if you were not here with us last week. But we looked and saw the importance of preaching, as I said, firstly, the entire counsel of God. I'm going to be the first to admit to you that there are parts of this big book, 66 books, 1,189 chapters, there are parts of this that I don't particularly like. 
There are commands in here sometimes that are difficult to follow. There are times when we can read the word of God and it's like, oh man, you mean I got to do that as well? Yes. And we don't like it. And the problem is that if we don't preach the entire counsel of God, we will forget something. I, I would hate to be the person that gets to heaven and some guy comes up to you with a great, well, I don't know if we're going to have beards, but let's just assume he's going to come up to you with this great big long beard and he's going to say, did you ever read my book? Great book, wasn't it? Uh, what book was that? Uh, the book of Habakkuk. I can't even say that word. You wrote a book? Yes. I wrote a book, pointed to the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry, I'm afraid I have to admit that I never got to read it, never got around to it. You see, the entire counsel of God is good for what pertains to life and godliness, as we said from 2 Peter. But if we will spend more time meditating on God's word, I believe that it's going to keep us from many of the ills that we face in the world. You say, well, what about when things go pear-shaped and I get diagnosed or I have to go to the doctor and I get diagnosed with something or the awful C word comes into the home and I find out that I've got cancer or got a tumor or I've got whatever it may be. The Bible still has the answer. The Bible still reminds us that God is the great physician and if he chooses to heal us here in this life, or he chooses to heal us in the life to come, he will still bring healing. What about those who come and they have heavy hearts and there's something that is going on in their life? The Bible says, come to me, all you who labor, all who are weary-hearted, I will give you rest. And this is the second thing that we learned last week. And that is like a captain bringing his ship safely to the harbor, we have to pay or give careful attention to not only what we believe, but what we allow to creep into our minds. The more time you spend in God's word, as Psalm 119 says, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled where? In heaven. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter if the Lord doesn't return for another thousand years, people in the year 3000, that's kind of weird to say that, but people living in the year 3022 one day, there are still going to be a remnant who are going to pick up the scriptures and they are still going to be giving praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ because God is not going to abandon his throne because of what the world governments have to say or because of what they think they can do or because of the laws they think they can change. Trust God's word. The same God who existed from eternity past, who didn't need you and I for anything in order to be able to make him God, existed in perfect triune fellowship with the Godhead. He didn't need anything. He didn't need angels. He didn't need the creation. He didn't need Leviathan from Job chapter 40 and 41. He had everything that he needed within himself, and yet one day out of the goodness and the purposes which was to bring honor and glory to himself, he chose, for whatever reason, time begins when he says, let there be. And there was. And then in the pinnacle of his creation, he creates Adam and Eve. 
and Adam and Eve are raised for one purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. Every evening in the cool of the garden, God comes down and man gets to meet God face to face. It's not very long though, Brother Corey, before long. I mean, there's nobody else even in the world. There's no TV. There's no internet to catch their attention. There's absolutely nothing. They've got everything they could possibly want. God says, one rule, don't eat of that tree. And whether it took a year, whether it took a week, whether it took a day, whether it took an hour, we do not know. It really doesn't matter. But the end result was that Adam and Eve chose to rebel against the Most High God. All of mankind fell. Never again would God come face to face with mankind as he did in the Garden of Eden until the Lord Jesus Christ came down to this earth and took on human flesh. But then he came down to this earth, took on human flesh, lived 30 years, began his ministry for three and a half years. He walked the dusty roads of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and then went and laid down his life a willing sacrifice so that we might have eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples in John chapter 14 through 17. He tells them and he concludes with his prayer. He reminds them that I am not going to leave you comfortless. I am going to send another comforter. And he sends the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells the life of every true believer. Now, I want to add this in right here because there are some false teachers that are going around right now. In fact, there's one that is going, that is actually produced a movie that's supposed to be coming out later this year. And this movie is telling Christians that they need to go through what is called a deliverance ministry. Anybody heard of something like that? Nobody? Wow. Oh, there we go. All right. Wondering if everybody's kind of living under a rock this morning. <laughs> this deliverance ministry, this well-known mega church pastor is telling people that they have to be delivered because Christians can be demon-possessed. And so you come to church or you meet with a pastor for the purposes of being delivered from whatever demons, the demon of fear, the demon of, of whatever it may be that's go, got go, that, that is going on in your life. I want to remind you, based on the truth of God's word, that when the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells the heart and life of a believer at the moment of salvation, you cannot lose God. You did nothing to get God in the first place. And when God comes into your life and he indwells your heart, it is the Holy Spirit is given as a down payment for that inheritance, which is to come which is the life to follow. The Bible is clear that the evil one cannot inhabit the same place as the Holy Spirit. And God does not share his throne with Satan. Amen. So if you're reading these things or you're seeing these movies or you're seeing these documentaries that are coming out, don't believe them. It is simply a trap to be able to catch you in another false doctrine. And again, the issue is not coming and facing you or hitting you over the head, Brother Mike, with, with a ton of false doctrine. The evil one only has to get one fraction of a tiny degree and he will eventually take you like this. 
There is only one deliverance for a believer. And that is when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts your heart of of sin, he brings you to the point of salvation, he brings you to the point where you repent and you confess your sins before him, and he makes you a brand new creation. And it is at that moment that you are delivered from the slave market of sin forever. If we are not careful, the evil one will find easy paths to gain access to our hearts and our minds. And the question will be repeatedly asked, yea, has God really said that? Third, we saw that we are called to watch for wolves. Now, yes, I recognize that this is the primary job or the responsibility of a pastor or a shepherd, the, the, the under-shepherds that are called to shepherd the flock of God. But it also calls for the sheep to be vigilant. The problem comes when not only shepherds are not observant, but it is compounded when the sheep think they can live off of one meal a week. I'm reminded, uh, we've got some folks here, who just recently come here from South Dakota, and I will never forget, I was meeting with a colleague one day, and we were living in Sioux Falls. We were sitting there and enjoying our lunch, and this man comes in, and he walks past this very long line, and he reaches over, grabs a tray, has a handful of change, and just dumps it on the counter in front of the cashier, and continues with the tray, goes up to the buffet, and just starts loading this tray. I mean, this man was tall, he was skinny, And he just loads everything that he wants on this tray. And he comes and he sits down and he's one table away from us. And the waitress comes by and lays uh, uh, some silverware there beside him. And he just starts going to town. And the more he eats, the more I am absolutely just to say, as we say in England, I am gobsmacked. (laughs) I can't believe this guy's going to eat all of that food. And sure enough, he does. He gets and he gets it all done. And wouldn't you know it, he goes up, grabs another tray, and goes back up for seconds and dessert. And I'm trying to figure out where in the world is this guy putting this? So I called the waitress over and I said, I've got to ask you a question. She said, you and everybody else. I said, does this happen like often? I mean, I'm thinking if this guy doesn't have any food or, or whatever, you know, or, or he can only afford to come once, once in a while, I'll pay for another meal for him. I mean, I don't want him to eat one entire meal in one day. And she said, oh no, he comes in about three times a week and he does the exact same thing. He brings change and he puts it on the counter and he gets a tray. He doesn't want a plate and he just fills up the tray and we just leave him alone. Well, I give you that illustration because there are times in our lives, and I know that I've talked with you, with several of you about this, but there are times in our lives where we may get up on a Sunday morning, maybe things are going bad, maybe we've had a rough week, and we've had an argument with the wife, maybe you and the kids didn't get along, and we think reading just one verse, Brother Diego, is enough to be able to take us through the entire week. There are times when when maybe things are going bad and, and, and maybe here's a great idea. Instead of turning on the TV or reaching for the mouse to the computer, what if we were to actually open up our scriptures and say, Lord, what can I learn from you today? 
You see, this is one of the encouragements that we have in coming together. After all, we're, we're going to be fellowshipping for all of eternity with one another. We're going to be able to enjoy the wonders of heaven. And, and, and I am often amazed that, that people don't want more than that. They, they only want a little bit of God thinking, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. Too many sheep are weak. They're sickly in their faith. They struggle, and that's, I believe, because they are, have more dealings with the wolves of the world than they do surrounding themselves with the love of the shepherd and the flock each week. When we come together and we ask people whether they want to come and be a part of the fellowship, number three, I recognize my responsibility to be faithful in my attendance, to pray regularly for the work of this congregation, for its pastors, elders, officers, and church family, that the witness of all concerned may be to the glory of God and to the salvation of souls. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really take that seriously? How important is it I know for quite some time we used to go and we were involved as a family in various sports activities. And we were actually doing martial arts. There's a Christian brother here in town, retired major from the Air Force. And we used to go and still galls me to this day, so bear with me for just a moment. I was two days away from getting my next belt. And this vertigo hit, which I've now had for three years. And I couldn't do a roundhouse kick right now to save my life. You all would have to come pick me up. But I remember that when we went, I could tell the difference if I missed a week or I missed a couple of weeks. After a while, when you miss the first one, that's not so bad, but the second one gets even easier to miss. And then the third one. And then before long, you look back and it's like, man, I've, I've been away from the sport for a month or I've been away from whatever. You know, the people who are involved in those sports, how much time does it actually take to become proficient? Hey, your sons, did, didn't they do uh, wrestling? Yeah, eight hours of their workout, eight hours of schoolwork, and eight hours of sleep. Wow. Wait a minute. Can you run that by me one more time? 24 hours. Tw eight hours of workout, eight hours of schoolwork, eight hours of sleep. A month, right? That's a lot of time. Why? Because it's important to them. And if we understood, if you look at the cross behind me, for example, if you understood that the God of all creation had an eternal plan whereby he was going to come down and he was going to give his life a ransom for his bride one day being willing to come back warts and all, Brother Jerry, with all the problems, all the struggles that we have, one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back for his bride. If we really understood how much Jesus truly loved his bride, we would love his bride more. Finally, we recalled the admonition and the command that we are to live holy lives. 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all your conduct, in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So now we come to the island of Crete. I don't know, have you guys already shown the pictures here? Here we go. Good job, Ben. Thank you. We find ourselves on the island of Crete, and I just want you to see a couple of pictures here this morning. So Crete is actually just west of the land of Israel. Okay, this is south, or just north, uh, this would be northwest. I should have had a picture of showing Israel as well, but this is south of Greece. And of course, you've got the boot here of Italy, and then Africa, North Africa down here, Spain over here on the far left. All right, go ahead and go through the next three pictures there. This is what Crete looks like today. Probably would have been quite a bit different, but it would actually probably look very close to the second picture. You'd have seen homes like this that were made out of the rock, similar type steps. This is from the Roman time period. So this is where we're at today in this message. We are on the island of Crete paying a visit to a young pastor by the name of Titus. Paul doesn't tell this young man to win friends and influence people. Rather, he tells him and gives him what sounds like an impossible task. Listen to Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. Very simple. Comes down to this one verse. That you might put what remains in order or what is missing. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, what a task. You go to a town, and it's believed that at the time that Titus went there, that there was possibly as many as 100 churches that were scattered around the island. So it actually is a pretty big task. He has to go in every one of these cities, in every one of these towns, and he has to tell them the truth that they don't want to hear. Because there were things that were obviously missing. But why? I mean... I could see maybe one town. I could see maybe one church having struggles. But then you read verse 12 and verse 13. And tragically, the life of the people on this little Mediterranean island rarely actually reflected the kind of people that you might want to hang around. These people on the island of Crete were actually not very nice people. In fact, the problem with the churches that were found on Crete is that they had resorted to resembling the world more than they resembled Christ. Listen to verse 12 and 13. One of the Cretans, I would move just for that. (laughs) One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. Evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, Paul continues. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Listen, he is not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who are sitting there just like you and I at Yellowstone Baptist Church. And he's saying, these are the problems that these churches are facing. They're all like this, so therefore rebuke them sharply. The word is to admonish. Why? So that they can be sound in the faith. 
This is why we share the things that we do. This is why it's important for us to be able to tell you what God's Word has to say, to encourage you not to be just a Sunday morning 11 to 12, 15 Christian. And that doesn't mean that you're coming every single time the doors are open, although that would be wonderful. We've talked about the prayer room. It would be wonderful to have more than seven or eight people in the prayer room on a Sunday morning at 8.45 or on a Wednesday night. That would be wonderful. But I think the real encouragement here is Jesus Christ and the Word of God should so fill your life that somebody could see you, stop by your home, see you in church, and walk away saying, that person has obviously been spending time with Jesus. That's really what true Christianity, biblical Christianity, is about. Listen to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua has come to the end of his life. He's been blessed by God. He is one of only two people out of all the children of Israel over the age of 20 who have been allowed to go into the promised land. He goes into the promised land. God makes him a leader. Moses has been left up on the mount, on Mount Nebo, where God has buried him. And so Joshua becomes the leader. And now we come to the very end of Joshua's life. And Joshua writes this. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You and I, before we get into each one of the people in the few moments that we have left this morning, I think that it is important for us to remember that your life is something that you will give account to before God for you. If you're a father here this morning, you're not responsible for my house. I am. Moms, you're not responsible to the other men in the church. You're responsible before God to your family, to your children, to your husband. Children, you're responsible. You have one right in this world, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You see, we all have a responsibility before God and what we're going to do And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Are we going to be like Joshua who said we will serve the Lord? Are we going to be like the family of Achan who was punished and demolished and destroyed with him at the beginning of the foray into the promised land because it was more important to hold Babylonian garments? You see, we can have the silver, we can have the gold, or we can have Jesus Christ. You can't have both. You can have the baubles and the trinkets of the world, but you can't hold on to them dearly if you are seeking to hold on dearly to Jesus Christ. Again, God will not share his throne with another. God is, God always has been, God always will be God, and there is none like him in all the earth. I want to encourage you to write these four points down this morning. 
And I want you to take these home and I would like you to spend time going through this little tiny book along with the book of 1 John that I mentioned earlier. I want you to know and understand that we can have confidence in the God of our salvation. Not because Mark Escalera said it or because Brother Diego has gotten up and said something or my dad has gotten up and spoken in the Sunday Bible class hour or Brother Al has. No, we are not the final authority. The final authority is God's word. So I want you to see just briefly, number one, the reach of godly doctrine. We spoke about this, so we do not want to belabor this point this morning. But I encourage you, if you were not here last week, to go and listen at sermonaudio.com and listen to the message, the value of biblical doctrine from last week. But the reach of godly doctrine has to take you and your spouse and your family, your grandchildren, whoever it may be that you have a direct influence in your life or that God has given you, and you have to determine whether godly doctrine drives your decisions. Does godly doctrine matter? Yes, I believe it does. Biblical doctrine is simply teaching. It's instruction. Paul, uh, uh, David said in Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to what? Your word. You see, when you come to the end of your life, your natural life, whatever time that may be, Maybe 70 years, 80 years, some may maybe only 20 or 30 years. Some don't even make it to be a teenager. We do not know what that is, but when you get to the end of that, that life and people were to ask you, what drove you? What helped you to make your decisions? What was it that changed in you to be the person that you are today? The question is going to be, was it godly doctrine? You see, there are a lot of people, go back to verse or chapter 2, verse 1 of Titus. But as for you, teach what accords or what is in line with sound doctrine. This is why it's important not to teach men's opinions or traditions or feelings or help you to feel good about yourself on a Sunday morning so that you can go and try to make it through the rest of the week. No. You see, a pastor, unfortunately, there are times when I get calls or I get emails or I get texts and another family is falling apart, another marriage is falling apart. I'm not going to give you a self-help book to be able to get you through those times. I'm going to take you to the Word of God and I know that God has the answer. If I don't, I'm wasting my time and you're wasting your time on a Sunday morning. Godly doctrine is so vital. It will keep you from falling prey to the cults. It will help you in your decisions. And when you get to the end of your life, it will help you to close your eyes and sleep, knowing that you can rest confident in the fact that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't want a false hope. I don't want a false assurance. I want to be able to know that I have confidence in the God who saved me. 
Why would I want to have confidence in somebody if he only saved me and then he leaves me to my own devices for the rest of my life? Secondly, we not only have the reach of godly doctrine, but we have the responsibility of godly men. Verse 2 and verse 6. Older men are to be sober-minded. We could spend an entire message just on these. But godly men, older men, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Boy, that's a hard one in today's world, isn't it? Sound in faith, in love, and in in steadfastness. So Paul tells Titus here, again, he talks about the sound doctrine to be sound in faith. He uses the same word. And the responsibility, look at verse 6, of godly men. Uh, Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now here's the point I believe that Paul is making. Remember what kind of churches these were, the problems that they had on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. He's saying, as Paul said to the church at Corinth, quit you like men and be strong. In other words, men who are godly men are men who will grow up. Men who will be willing to face the foe, who will be willing to get up in the morning, who will be willing to put on the armor of God, to be able to go out into the fight, to be able to stand and say, I will stand in the gap for my family. I will stand in the gap because God alone is my savior. God is my rock. God is my fortress. Who else can I trust in? God, that's exactly right. There's nobody else that we can trust in. But you know how a young person can know that? They have to hear it. They have to hear it from mom and dad. They have to hear it from the grandparents. They have to hear it from brothers and sisters in Christ that remind them everything that the world wants to offer you is nothing but a bauble. It is nothing but trinkets. Does anybody remember, some of you are history history fanatics like me, does anybody remember the story of what happened with the island of Manhattan? Do you remember it was sold from the Indians, Native Americans, and it was sold to... Yeah. Does anybody remember? Do you remember how what they sold it for? $24 worth of trinkets. It is now the most expensive real estate in the world. Yes, they got ripped off. But I want you to understand something. Some of you, just like me at times in my life, you are willing to sell what is precious to God for $24 worth of trinkets. And you're going to find at the end of your life, you're going to regret. You're going to regret selling yourself so cheaply. Because God holds us to a different standard. He reminds us, Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, know you not that you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Young people, I've reminded you several times, and I'll continue to remind you, save yourself for marriage. Don't give yourself over to the world. 
Don't take that first drink. Don't take that first drug. Don't take that first illicit relationship. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Verses 3 through 5, we find the reverence of godly women. Listen to this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now we're going to pause right there for just a moment. All the young ladies, look up here for just a moment. All the young ladies. Well, the older ladies, you can look up here as well. All the young ladies. I've told my daughters this, just like I have encouraged my sons to be godly men. Just like my dad and my mom taught us. But I want to tell you something, young ladies. The world is going to offer you everything on a platter. But let me tell you something. The highest calling that God could ever give you is to be a godly mother and wife. You can't change what you are. The world is going to tell you you can be whatever you want to be. You can be, if you're a man today, you can be a woman tomorrow. Or, or now, I, I couldn't believe it. I actually looked up, I saw it on the news. There's actually classes right now in England that are going on where the kids come and they're being taught to be good horses and so the teacher has to actually feed them carrots at snack time. I am not kidding you. We've got classes here in America where kids are allowed to come and if they think they're a dog or they're a cat, they can be whatever they want to be in. So you've got to speak to them. In fact, there was one, I saw this documentary this last week, this person who goes into classes to teach teachers of young children how to meow like a cat so that you can reach them on their level. Young ladies, to get to the marriage altar and to be pure in heart, to be pure in mind, and to be pure in body is the best thing you could ever do for your future marriage. Amen. Young men, same thing for you. You live according to God's word and God will honor that. You see the problem in the church at Crete, they had forgotten they had forgotten that they had been bought with a price. Parents, don't be afraid to tell your children the truth. Don't be afraid to tell them that the lies that people like Disney are wanting to tell your kids, that they're lies, that they're not true. Yes, we can live happily ever after, but it's not going to be in this life. Now, those of you who are older to be able to encourage you, how many of you here have been married more than 30 years? My wife and I, we're coming up on 34. Okay, how many over 40? Okay, not me, I'll put my hand down. How many over 50? Anybody over 60? 55? Okay, two families over 55. That takes commitment. Not living a fairy tale. Remembering day after day that God alone is faithful. 
and seeking to honor Him. Honor your commitment. Honor your covenant before God. You see, there are a lot of people out in the world and they just want to tell you, drop the commitment. It's not a big deal. Live with whoever you want to. Sleep with whoever you want to. And it's only going to bring ruin and heartache. The reverence here that is found in in godly women, that's because the women are to follow the example of the men. And men, if you and I are not being an example to our wives, to, to the Christian sisters and ladies who are within our churches, how can we expect them to follow? Finally, this morning, the respect of a godly life. Look with me again at verse 7 and 8. Show yourself in how many respects? What does your version say? Show yourself in verse 7 in all respects. To be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The respect of a godly life means that everybody that sees you will be able to say, He's got the same testimony. You and I shouldn't be any different at church than we are at home. We shouldn't be any different than we are in the workplace. If we're driving down the road, that doesn't mean that we honk at people and we give them a nice salute. Especially if we're Christians. You know what bothers me? I see it too often driving down the road and somebody gets upset because I'm the one driving 39 miles an hour down Yellowstone and people want to, and they drive by and it says on the bumper sticker, love God. You know what they've done? They have demeaned their testimony if they even had one. One of these days, and I believe soon, but it may not be soon, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. This last week I had the privilege of listening to several of the messages from the Shepherds Conference at John MacArthur. And the message was, the entire message was really about the remnant. God has always had a people for himself, whether it was Israel, whether it's his bride, the church. But I believe that it's important for you and I to know and to be able to understand the love that God has for you is eternal. The fact is, he's not going to leave you alone. Brother Corey, when you're out on those long miles driving your truck, The Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that resides in your heart is the same one that resides in mine. He's the same one that encourages my heart is the same one that can encourage your heart. The same one who encourages us to live a godly life, to be able to raise our children, to be able to instruct them in the ways of God is the same one that is instructing your family if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So I want to close by saying this. The value of a biblical home cannot be said enough. There is a godly value that comes from doing what is right. I remember my dad sharing years ago from another 
pastor that he heard it from by the name of Bob Jones. And Bob Jones Sr. of Bob Jones University said, used to say all the time, do right, even if the stars fall, do right. That's what I'm challenging you to do this morning. Do right. Even if the stars fall, even if your entire life begins to fall apart, it doesn't matter whether you go to the doctor, it doesn't matter whether you lose a member to death this next week, it doesn't matter if you lose your job, it doesn't matter if you don't have enough money for groceries or for gas, it doesn't matter what it is. The same God who created you and has put you right where you're at is still going to be sovereign. There are many brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who don't have anything today. Where we were at in West Africa, the people there had two changes of clothes. They wore the same ones every week. The Bible tells us that God will provide us with food and raiment. If you've got a car, you're blessed beyond what God said that he would give you to begin with. If you've got a home, if you've got more than one set of clothes, if you've got plenty of food to be able to choose from, if you can go to the grocery store and you can walk down one aisle that's got 739,216 different boxes of cereal on it, <laughs> you and I have been blessed beyond measure. You know, one of the things I do when I walk into a store, I've lived in a third world country. That doesn't make me somebody special. But I tell you what it has done for my wife and I and my family. It reminds us how good we have it here. And there are many times I walk down those aisles. And I think of my brothers and sisters in places that don't have the choices we do. And I say, God, I don't know why you've been so gracious to me. I don't know why you've allowed me to be right where we're at. But thank you. And you know, Brother Kurt, thank you is just two little words that sometimes are too small. But do you know how we get to that point? Do you know how we can be thankful for the good times? Do you know how we can be thankful for the bad times? It comes from the value of a biblical home. Teach your children. Teach your grandchildren. But don't just teach them what to say or what to do. Be the example for them. Men, be godly. Women, be godly. And then we can expect our children to be godly as well. Let's pray. Lord, for the first time we, we read or we sung that hymn to the tune of Be Still My Soul. I've never sung that one before, but the words that are there truly are precious. And Lord, I'm reminded again of that last verse. And I pray that this is the prayer the heart's cry of everybody here this morning. O Lord, our God, our homes are thine forever. We trust to thee their problems, toil, and care. Their bonds of love no enemy can sever if thou art always Lord and master there. Be thou the center of our least endeavor.
Be thou our guest, our hearts and homes to share. Lord, help each of the men who are here this morning and any who may hear this message later. Help us to be godly men. Help us to be the example. Help us to have sound doctrine. To be strong in our faith. And not waiting for our wives to respond or our children to respond, but that we would stand up with boldness, ramrod straight with a back of steel. Say it doesn't matter whether the world is falling apart, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, for these precious ladies who are here, whether older or younger, Help them to be an example to the young girls who are growing up here and that the men would be an example to the young men. Help them to be reverent in their deportment. Help them to love you more than anything. Lord, help us to be an example to our children and that our children would be raised to know, honor, and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, tragically, we look at the Statistics, and we see more and more young people who are quitting, who are giving up on church. Lord, may it not be said that they gave up because they didn't see an example in us, that we lost our testimony in some way. Thank you for the time this morning. May every heart be stirred to a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. I invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing one more hymn. It's on the screen, um, or the music will be, but it's actually hymn number 227. If you'll stand with me, if you're able to stand, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, as our final hymn for this morning. <clears throat> 